Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. This week, American Jewish Committee marked Jewish American Heritage Month, Israel's Memorial Day, and Israel's Independence Day by also naming the month of May Jewish and Proud Month. Throughout this month, we will ask our guests what makes them Jewish and proud. Last week, we asked you. Here's the first sample of what you, our listeners, had to say. Hi, this is Jody in Jacksonville, Florida. I am proud to be a Jew. I'm proud to be a Jewish woman. I'm proud to be a member of Hadassah. I'm also active in my sisterhood and just yesterday put on an anti-Semitism on campus symposium here to help our, all our mishpucha to empower young people to stand up for themselves on campus in a safe and effective way. And we heard from two young people who have been living with the reality of anti-Semitism and hate on high school campuses. We also heard from the Hillel Rabbi from the University of Florida. So it was a wonderful gathering, and I know that people felt much more empowered to stand up and speak truth to power. Hi, my name is Eitan, and I live in Riverdale, New York. To me, being Jewish means being part of a larger people one that not only is in the community where I live in, but also spans throughout the country and throughout the world. But knowing that wherever I go, there will always be people who have the same lineage and heritage as me. To me, being Jewish means being proud of who I am and of the beliefs which have been passed down to me. Thank you, Jody and Eitan. What does being Jewish mean to you? We want to know your answer, too. Call the People of the Pod hotline at 212-891-1336 and leave a message of a minute or less in our voicemail inbox. Don't forget to include your name and city with your answer. You may hear your voice on a future episode. Call 212-891-1336. People of the Pod is celebrating Jewish and Proud Month with a few special guests. This week, our guest is Rabbi Amiel Hirsch, an outspoken leader in the Reform Movement regarding American Jews' commitment to Israel. He sat down with my guest host, Laura Shaw Frank, AJC's William Petrick Director of Contemporary Jewish Life, to discuss why Zionism, pride in the existence of a Jewish state, is and should remain a core value of Judaism. Laura? Thanks, Manya. We're excited to kick off our celebration of Jewish pride with an interview with Rabbi Amiel Hirsch, senior rabbi of the Stephen Wise Free Synagogue in Manhattan. Rabbi Hirsch is a proud and outspoken American Jew, reform rabbi, and staunch Zionist, and his clear-voiced support of the Jewish people and Israel has earned him the respect and admiration of Jews all over America. Rabbi Hirsch, welcome to People of the Pod. We're so glad to have you. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I'm an admirer of everything that the American Jewish Committee does. And the feeling is very mutual. Thank you. I wanted to start out with talking a little bit about your recent synagogue trip to the Polish-Ukrainian border. You went to bring humanitarian relief to Ukrainians whose lives, as we all know, have been completely devastated by the Russian invasion. 
And you described the trip in a way that I thought was so beautiful and interesting. You said, quote, Jews have a special obligation to protect the weak. We are a refugee people. We know what it's like to feel uprooted. That resonated a lot for me. And I'm wondering if you could share a little more about how you see obligation stemming from experience, which I feel is such a Jewish idea. It is a very Jewish idea. I think it's a very necessary idea. You know, we live to a certain degree in a post-religious era, and people who are religious and people who aren't religious are constantly asking, what is the role of religion in the 21st century in the West? One important function that we have, and I'm leaving God aside for the moment, what the nature of your belief in God is, is we remind people, Jews and non-Jews, that the human condition is not only to think of yourself, not only to think personally, but also to think of uh, other people and to do our part, to give back, to repair the world, to improve society. We believe that as a matter of theology, because eventually we believe that that is the way to bring about the Messianic era. Unlike other religious traditions that, you know, kind of expect the additional coming that would usher in an era of peace for the Jews, the Messianic era was always a function and a product of human initiative, human endeavor. It was the result of history, the, the forces of history at play. And people make history. And so for us to bring about an era of tranquility and peace, it is generation after generation after generation of people who work to improve the human condition. We can't finish the task but we're not free to desist. And when we finish our time on earth, we hand the torch to the next generation. That's beautiful. And again, very, very resonant for me and I'm sure for many of our listeners. I wanted to talk a little bit about your Zionism. You are a very, very passionate Zionist. I wanted to first ask you, you're a reform rabbi and a very passionate reform rabbi. How do you see being a reform rabbi and being a Zionist working together in this moment? Well, I think it goes hand in hand. It's part and parcel. And I still believe that. And when I say that publicly, in particular to my colleagues, not only of my generation, but younger generations as well, most of them concur. So then the question is, what's going on? And I do think there is some truth to the critique that the younger we get in the Jewish community, the more distanced younger Jews feel from, not only from Israel, by the way, but from the undergirding value that brings identification with Israel, and that's with Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people. The Jewish people as a religious concept if you believe in the centrality of the Jewish people, not only liberal Jews and not only conservative Jews and not only Jews on the Upper West Side, but if you believe in the sanctity of the totality of the people, then that leads many of us, most of us, to be committed Zionists, because that is what Zionism is. It's the self-liberation of the Jewish people. And so I do think there is a growing issue in particular in my camp, in the liberal part of the American Jewish community, that happens to be the vast majority of American Jews. In fact, I think 85 to 90 percent of American Jews define themselves as something other than orthodox. So as the liberal Jewish community goes, so goes American Jewry. 
So all of us have a key stake in making sure that the liberal American Jewish community maintains its commitments to Jewish peoplehood and its most eloquent expression in modern times, Zionism in the state of Israel. And I spent a lot of time doing that because the reform movement is uniquely susceptible to a philosophy, a theology, that takes it away from Jewish peoplehood by emphasizing more our universal obligations. It's this whole conflict between what we call tikkun olam and klal Yisrael. Tikkun olam is absolutely a central part of Judaism from the beginning. From the very first moment that we meet the first Jew, Abraham, God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves through you. And so the task of the Jewish community, of the Jewish people, was to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So that absolutely is part of Judaism. Anybody who says that tikkun olam is not part of Judaism doesn't really understand Judaism that well. That said, Jewish universalism, tikkun olam, ripped from its particularistic moorings, is not Jewish universalism. It's just universalism. But we are susceptible to emphasizing universal values not as an expression of Jewish peoplehood, but at the expense of Jewish peoplehood. And I see my role as to constantly remind our movement that both need to exist to express authentic Judaism. That is so unbelievably important and so unbelievably challenging in this moment. How do you do that? How do you remind your movement of that? It's not just the reform movement, of course. It's many liberal Jews across the liberal spectrum. How do we educate toward that? Well, educate is a key word, of course, because it's a challenge to instill Jewish literacy. It's an increasingly difficult challenge by virtue of us living generation after generation in such an open and free society like our own, like the United States. But I would say the same thing throughout the Western world. So, of course, a big part of our task is to instill as much Jewish literacy as possible. That literacy then brings forth an identification with our people and our values, with Judaism and the Jewish people. And if you have that, then in all likelihood you will withstand all of the challenges against us or against uh, the state of Israel, some of which are legitimate and some of which is illegitimate. But if you start with a basic identification with your own, with our people, then that is likely to last you through a lifetime and is likely to be transmitted by you to your posterity. It seems to me that that is our biggest challenge. And here again, the further you get, the more distanced you are from Jewish learning and understanding of Jewish values, the harder it is to sustain the strongest possible Jewish identity. If we are able to instill basic Jewish values, a basic understanding, a basic worldview, why is Judaism important, how much it's contributed to the world, to the well-being of society, and to our own people, how glorious, how deep, how brilliant it is, then we have a chance of sustaining, creating a Jewish identity that will last throughout a person's lifetime 
and which will be transmitted to their posterity. All of these Jewish organizations that we have, essentially all of them are useful, they're good, they're important, but they take the identity, the Jewish identity that has been created in three primary North American institutions, without which there won't be a strong American Jewish community because Jews won't develop a strong identification with Judaism. And that is, these three institutions are synagogues, day schools, and summer camps. The vast majority of American Jews, first of all, they're not Orthodox, they never will be Orthodox. The Orthodox may have other problems, but Jewish continuity is not one of them. The problem of Jewish continuity is primarily lies in the non-Orthodox world. And the institutions that are responsible for developing Jewish identity, for teaching what Judaism is about, are these three institutions, synagogue, day school, and camps. And of the three, by far, synagogues are the central institution. First, because they're cradle to grave, they're lifelong, and second, because most American Jews, especially non-Orthodox American Jews, eventually won't end up either in day schools or in summer camps, but many more of them will end up in synagogues. And that's the reason that synagogues need to be supported and supported massively, because if we don't support these efforts that synagogues are making with only partial success, then we won't get to a situation where we'll be developing a generation of Jews that will then be able to lend their talents, their affluence, their skills, their experiences, their intelligence to all of the other agencies in the North American Jewish community that are so critical to us. I think that is such an important point, and the studies that we've done at AJC about Jewish continuity and Jewish connectivity have borne out in statistics exactly what you're saying. I want to turn for a moment to rabbinical students and rabbinical student education. As you know, last summer during the conflict between Israel and Hamas, a number of rabbinical students signed a petition criticizing Israel in that moment and failing to mention Hamas. And you were very outspoken in that moment, um, outspokenly critical of the students um, who did that. Of course, it wasn't only reform rabbinical students who signed the petition. But as a reform rabbi, I think it was the reform rabbinical students that you were probably the most concerned with. Can you talk a little bit about where you think those students went wrong and what you hope might come out of that incident? I actually didn't comment publicly about this until the story, if you recall, hit the magazine section of the New York Times. Yes. <laughs> so there was an article, you know, I was a student too one day, and uh, I thought a lot of things that I no longer think. And in any case, I wanted, when I was a student, the space to say what was on my mind, to debate with people, and to make mistakes. And I didn't need half of the movement on my neck because I said something that I might on reflection, you know, have said better. So, you know, I respect the institution and I respect the experience of being a rabbinical student. And so I didn't actually comment at all publicly about that until it became a public story in the New York Times. And uh, unfortunately, most of our uh, Jews get their understanding of Judaism, not from me, but from the New York Times. Very true. <laughs> the Times tells them what Judaism is, right? And what bothered me actually was it was not even the intellectual argument that was made. You know, it could have been sharpened, and many of them, upon hearing critique, suggested themselves, many of the students, that, you know what, they could have sharpened this and clarified it, and they could have made themselves better understood. But for me, it wasn't even that. It was 
that there was some emotional deep chasm that was lacking in these signatories. I think there were 90 or so of them, and a third of them were students at our seminary at the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, I believe. And they did this in the middle of a war that was launched by a fundamentalist, anti-democratic, non-egalitarian, anti-feminist, anti-tolerant Islamic force that launched missiles against our people unjustifiably. And in the middle of this, while hundreds of thousands and, and you know Israelis were rushing daily to bomb shelters, little kids traumatized, in the middle of all of this, not a word about what our people are enduring and not a word about Hamas and just critique about Israeli policies. So that's really where I think our movement needs work. And I think we need to work on that in the rabbinical seminary itself. That is, we have five years to instill the deepest possible identification with Israel and Zionism to teach Zionist values in our uh, students. And the fact that they would write this letter and want it promoted throughout the world, not only throughout the Jewish world, is to us an indication, it seems to me, that there is work to do to improve the experiences of the rabbinical training that they receive in rabbinical school. And I would just add one thing is something that I've said to the administration of the Hebrew College and to colleagues, fellow rabbis. We are entitled to have beliefs, and we are entitled to say to students who want to be rabbis, these are our beliefs, and we are accepting you on the basis of these beliefs. We're a Zionist movement. We believe in Klal Yisrael, and we have a center in the state of Israel. And if these are not your beliefs, if you're an anti-Zionist, if you don't care at all about Israel, if you don't see the relevance of Israel at all to your rabbinate, to your future rabbinate, God bless you. But go and study rabbinics somewhere else, not in our institution, because this is what we believe. And we're entitled to say that to candidates for rabbinical school. Every institution is entitled to say, these are our beliefs. If you accept them, great. If you meet our standards, we'll accept you. If not, good luck to you. We give you our blessings. Go study somewhere else. I think that's very wise. Rabbi Hirsch, I understand that you are launching your own podcast in the near future. Tell us a little bit about that. During the pandemic, I find it really, really urgent to communicate with people in different ways. And fewer people like to congregate now in large crowds. So we are launching a podcast. It's called In These Times. It'll be a biweekly uh, podcast. We'll invite very prominent people from across American society, from the Jewish world, Israeli representatives, government officials. And we'll talk about issues from the perspective of what are the key Jewish values at play here. We're about to launch in two weeks. And I hope it's interesting and meaningful for some of the listeners. I wish you lots and lots of luck with that, and I can't wait to listen. I want to turn to this month on the Jewish calendar and on the American calendar. So I'm a student of American Jewish history. It's my passion subject. And I particularly love the history of the American rabbinate. In my mind, the finest rabbis in American Jewish history are the ones who can kind of draw from both American culture 
and from Jewish tradition to kind of craft a compelling message to their communities about what it means to be an American Jew, not just an American and not just a Jew. And I see you as someone who's very successful at doing that. So in this Jewish month, we have just commemorated Yom HaShoah last week. I guess we're now in a different Jewish month, in the month of ER. And tonight we will enter um, Yom HaZikaron and tomorrow Yom HaAtzma'ut, which have come at the same time as American Jewish Heritage Month. We are elevating a message of Jewish pride this month, Jewish pride that includes Zionism, that includes being passionate American Jews. And we've launched this month-long campaign to celebrate Judaism and its history and its customs. So I wanted to ask you, what does being Jewish and proud mean to you? For me, you're asking somebody who, from his earliest recollection, knew that he was Jewish. It was a natural thing for me. You know, it wasn't like Maybe I could choose among different options of religious identification or national identification. So being Jewish to me is as natural as breathing. But if I look objectively at our people, and there is no such thing, <laughs> but if you take a look at Jewish history and if you have an opportunity to dig deep into our texts, our people is a miracle. First of all, that we're still around is itself an unparalleled miracle. All of the nations of antiquity that lived by our side that were mentioned in the Bible, many of which were mentioned because they had aspirations to destroy us, are no longer here. Even the great superpowers of antiquity, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, they're gone. You can see remnants of their civilization and their culture in museums. Somehow, this people survived. You're a historian, so if you were to look at this from a historical perspective, I suppose historians could point to this and that, and I would agree that, yes, there were historical reasons why we survived. But, you know, it can't be explained entirely by uh, history. I and agree. In my more Good. Then, so let me suggest this to you as a rabbi then, since I'm a rabbi and you're a historian, and I'm not a historian. In my more spiritual moments, you know, after I've gone through all the history and tried to identify what are the reasons that we managed to survive, sometimes in my most spiritual moment, I simply stop and say, God wants this people to survive for some reason that I cannot fathom. God wants this people to survive. And our very existence testifies to the existence of God. So from that perspective alone, the existence of our civilization, of our culture, is a miracle. And we produced people and values that changed the world and in many ways define Western civilization. That is, Western civilization is an evolution that began in Jewish thought. So when I observe Jews, and of course I work with thousands of people, I interact with thousands of people, and when I observe that our people take Judaism for granted, or they can do with it or without it, it is of no consequence to them, I say to myself, what a loss and what a tragedy, because you are members of a civilization that changed the world. I hope that people feel that pride at all times, not only during the month that we've uh, set aside for Jewish pride, but if they get a little bit more prideful during that month, that's good too, Dayenu. Those are beautiful words to end on. 
and incredibly inspirational. Rabbi Hirsch, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real honor to speak with you. Thank you for having me, and keep up the good work, American Jewish Committee. Thank you. If you missed last week's special live recording, be sure to listen to our conversation about American millennial Jews' attitudes toward Israel and how anti-Israel activism on U.S. college campuses has changed that relationship. The conversation is based on data from AJC's recent surveys of American and Israeli millennial Jews. And remember, we want to hear what makes you Jewish and proud. Leave a message with your name and city in our voicemail inbox. Call 212-891-1336. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.